We are currently in the middle of a sermon series called In Christ. And if you haven't been with us, if you haven't worshipped with us for a couple weeks, this series is an exposition of St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. I've outlined this series with three main themes. The blessings we have in Christ, our position in Christ, and what it looks like to live life in Christ. And this follows the natural structure of the epistle. In chapter 1, we see our blessings in Christ. These are things that we did nothing to earn or work for. Only that which God has lavished upon us. Election, predestination, salvation, redemption, adoption, and the gift of the Holy Spirit along with our eternal inheritance. Then in chapters 2 through 3, we see our position in Christ described. Once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we have been made alive together with Christ. Once we were alienated from the covenant of promise and God's people, but now in Christ we have received benefits of being in covenant with God, and we experience the blessing of being part of his spiritual temple that he is building among his people. And then chapters 4 through 6 illustrate what it looks like to live life in Christ, putting off sin and putting on righteousness, living and walking in accordance with God's law. And so this morning's text is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, which falls within the boundaries of that third theme, living life in Christ. And thus far in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has commanded the Ephesian Christians to walk in love. That was Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And he also commanded, walk in the light. It's Ephesians 5, verse 8. And then this morning, we are going to see St. Paul add a third command in this chapter, and that is this, walk in wisdom. That's chapter 5, verse 15. As believers in Christ Jesus, Paul's expectation for the Ephesians, and as well as for you and me by extension, his expectation is that they would walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. And today I want you to see four practical ways the Apostle Paul instructs all Christians to walk in wisdom. So number one is to exercise discernment. Number two is to be filled with the Spirit. Number three is to express thanksgiving. And number four is to exhibit humility. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. I'm going to read our text and then pray. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, 
But understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Please bow your head with me as I pray. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate your Holy Word. Help us to understand Paul's commands, admonitions, and exhortations. And then help us to put these things into practice here at All Saints Church. I pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's begin by drawing our attention to verses 15 and 16. The apostle says the following, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. As we've already seen throughout this sermon series, the term walk is a spiritual euphemism for the conduct of one's life. One's walk, or the way one walks, is a demonstration of their spiritual standing. That is to say that walk is synonymous with the term spiritual fruit. And for believers, our walk is the spiritual outworking of being united to Christ by grace through faith. Our walk is the practical outworking of being made alive together with Christ. Therefore, as Graham rightly explained last week, as we walk in love, having first been loved by Christ and then demonstrating that love to others, our lives should be void of selfish ambition and unbridled lust. In Christ, you and I are to live generously and self-controlled. In the same way, as we now walk in the light, having at one time lived in the kingdom of darkness, our lives should be void of evil and sin. In Christ, you and I are to live luminous and righteous lives, exposing the darkness in our own hearts and in the rebellious culture that we live in. Here in verses 15 and 16, St. Paul states that along with walking in love and walking in the light, Christians are to walk in wisdom. Our lives in Christ are to be void of folly. In Christ, you and I are to live wisely. And in the following five verses, verses 17 through 21, St. Paul provides us with four practical ways to walk in wisdom. Exercise discernment be filled with the Spirit, express thanksgiving, and exhibit humility. So look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The first way that the Apostle Paul says we are to walk in wisdom is by exercising discernment. 
here in verse 17, this is the third time that St. Paul has exhorted the Ephesians in this way. In chapter 4, verse 23, he said, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Then in verse 10 of chapter 5, Paul said, Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And here in verse 17, he says, Understand what the will of the Lord is. And one of the basic characteristics of a man or a woman who walks in wisdom is the attribute of discernment. If you were to think of someone who is wise, I would bet that discernment is an obvious quality in that person and actually part of the reason that you would deem them wise. And likewise, if you were to think of someone who is foolish, I would bet that discernment would be limited or void in that person's life. Proverbs 14.8, we read the following. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. And then additionally, in Proverbs 14.15, we read this. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Thus, the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian Christians and to you and me, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, you and I have a proclivity to think highly of ourselves. We are prone to believe that we've got it all figured out. So, for most of us in this room, Paul's admonition to not be foolish has not registered with us yet. Perhaps you are sitting there this morning and you're a little aloof and you don't see how this exhortation applies to you personally. If that's the case, just think for a moment. How recent have you been deceived or led astray? How many times in your life have you been fooled or duped? What are some of the events or the circumstances in your life that make you say, man, had I known what I know now, I would have totally done things differently. You see, every single one of us is naturally inclined to folly. And so the Puritan pastor Thomas Brooks said it this way, we are all guilty of being deceived by the bait of folly and unable to discern the hook of sin. That is why Paul gives this admonition. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, because you and I are not prone to see or detect the razor edge and barbed hook of sin and foolishness. And so to walk in wisdom, you and I need to put off foolishness and put on the positive trait of discernment. So then, the question is, how do we become discerning people? If Paul is telling us to put away foolishness and become discerning, how do we practically do that? Well, the apostle tells us that we are to understand the will of the Lord. And so if you want to become a discerning person, 
you first need to know where and how God's will is revealed and presented so that you might understand it. The testimony of Holy Scripture is that God has chosen to reveal his will through his word. If you want to know the will of God, if you want to understand the will of God, then you need to know his word. Our church's confession of faith says it this way, Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church. And afterwards, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit to the same holy unto writing, which maketh the holy scripture to be most necessary. Engaging with God's word through reading, studying, memorizing, and listening is the way to understand the will of the Lord and forsake foolishness. Because it is the very word of God that reveals to us right from wrong, truth from error, folly from wisdom. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says it this way, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Therefore, having been united to Jesus Christ by grace through faith, you and I are to walk in wisdom by exercising discernment, which is developed through a growing knowledge of God's word. Look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The second way that the Apostle Paul says that you and I are to walk in wisdom is by being filled with the Spirit. Here in verse 18, St. Paul uses a brilliant illustration to communicate his point. When one is filled with alcohol... They act under the influence of that substance. In fact, there are a couple of colloquial terms that I'm sure you are aware of that communicate this very idea. One might say of someone who is intoxicated, that guy has beer courage. Or another familiar phrase, she has her beer goggles on. And that is to say that the person intoxicated is acting in a way that is influenced by the substance of alcohol that is in them. Or a drunk person is perceiving things around them in a skewed manner because they are affected by the alcohol that is in them. And according to St. Paul, walking in wisdom requires us to abstain from drunkenness. That's crystal clear and it's straightforward. But more importantly, the apostle is stressing that in order to walk in wisdom, you and I must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this phrase, being filled with the Spirit, is just another way of communicating the idea of being empowered or affected by the Holy Spirit in a similar way that alcohol empowers or affects 
those who consume it. What Paul is saying then is instead of being empowered or affected by alcohol or any other substance for that matter, you and I are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is the point that he is driving home. To walk in wisdom is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, living under the the effective and efficacious power of God. So then, the natural question is, how do we become empowered by the Spirit? The first thing we must note is that every Christian who has been united to Christ by grace through faith is already indwelled by the Spirit. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the Apostle Paul said the following when he was talking about the indicatives of the gospel. He said this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So then, at the point of our conversion or regeneration, we receive the Holy Spirit. So when St. Paul says that we are to be filled with the Spirit, that is something altogether different than receiving the Spirit or being indwelled by the Spirit. Again, being filled with the Spirit is the same idea as being empowered by the Spirit. And we see the same thought communicated and taught in Paul's epistle to the Galatians when he says, walk in the Spirit. So here in verse 18, Paul is operating with the assumption that his audience has already received the Holy Spirit. They have already been sealed by the Spirit. But in addition to that, he wants them to live in the reality and power of the Spirit. And the way that one is empowered by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, is through prayer. You see, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul prayed these very words for the Ephesians. He said this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. The power of the Spirit is bestowed upon those who ask the Father to empower them. And so, next question is, why would we ask the Father for the Spirit's power? The reason is for everything that Paul has commanded us to do since the beginning of chapter 4. To put off sin and to put on righteousness. To walk in a manner worthy of our calling. To live life in Christ, because it's the Holy Spirit at work in us that empowers us to put off the sin of lying and to put on the righteous work of speaking the truth. It is the Holy Spirit at work in us that empowers us to put off the sin of uncontrolled anger and to put on the righteous work of self-control. It's the Spirit at work in us that helps us to put off the sin of stealing and put on the righteous work of vocation. It's the Holy Spirit's power in us that enables us to put off the sin of harmful speech and put on the righteous work of helpful speech. 
It's the power at it's the power of the Spirit at work in us that enables us to put off the sin of unforgiveness and put on the righteous work of forgiving others as we have been forgiven in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit at work in us that empowers us to put off the sin of sexual immorality and to walk in the light of purity and holiness. So as you strive to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God, I exhort you with the Apostle Paul to ask the Father to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you might not sin against Him. Ask the Father to fill you with the Spirit so that you can love your spouse and your children. Ask the Father to fill you with the Spirit so that you can resist and flee from sexual immorality. Ask the Father to fill you with the Spirit so that you can live like the Son. Having been made alive together with Christ, you and I are to walk in wisdom, living empowered by the Holy Spirit, which happens when we ask the Father to fill us and strengthen us. Draw your attention to verses 19 through 20. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third way that the Apostle Paul says we are to walk in wisdom is by expressing thanksgiving. In fact, this is the second exhortation by the Apostle Paul in this chapter in which he commands thanksgiving. The first time was in verse 4. Now, it is no coincidence that the Apostle Paul commands the positive good work of thanksgiving as an antithesis to the sins of sexual immorality in verse 4 and drunkenness in verse 18. At first, that may sound odd. You might think, why would Paul command thanksgiving as the good work to be putting on as we are to put off the sin of sexual immorality and drunkenness? Doesn't it make a lot more sense to put on the good work of abstinence? Well, like I said, it's no coincidence. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has a mastery level of understanding when it comes to the human condition and experience. You see, back in verse 5, the Apostle Paul equates the sin of lust and covetousness with idolatry. And this is where Paul really demonstrates his knowledge of human behavior. Because one of the most common ways that you and I sin is by distorting the good gifts of God. We forget that God has given us gifts, and in our forgetfulness, we worship the gift instead of the giver. In short, we become idolaters of the gifts of God. So for example, we forget that God has given us the wonderful gift of procreation. And in our forgetfulness, we fail to remember God, and instead we prioritize sex. 
Then we become lustful and idolatrous, turning the gift into something immoral. Likewise, in Psalm 104.15, we are told that God has given us the good gift of alcohol to gladden our hearts. Yet we so easily ignore God and replace him in our hearts and minds with his gift. For some of us, alcohol has replaced God by becoming the very thing we put our hope and trust in. The gift has become our ultimate means of joy and peace. And in this, we have become idolaters. And this, in fact, happens with all sorts of gifts. You and I can easily become idolaters of our spouse, our children, our education, our home, our wealth. Any good gift that God has given us, we can take that and make it an idol. As John Calvin famously said, the human heart is an idol factory and our sinful nature is such that anything we receive from the hand of God has the potential to be an idol. And this is why the Apostle Paul wants us to express thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving is the practical remedy against idolatry. When we thank God for his provisions... We acknowledge that it is not food or drink that is the source of our sustenance, but it is God operating through his gifts that sustains us. And the same is true of both sex and alcohol. When we thank God for these gifts, we acknowledge that the gifts themselves are not the ultimate cause for gratification and satisfaction. St. Paul commands thanksgiving because it is the spiritual good work that knocks down the idols of our hearts. Thanksgiving directs our worship away from the gift and toward the giver. Therefore, having been lavished with gifts from God, you and I are to walk in wisdom, expressing thanksgiving always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The fourth way that the Apostle Paul says that we are to walk in wisdom is by exhibiting humility. The Greek word that is translated as submit here in verse 21 is the same word that Paul will use in verse 24 when he says, As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. But it's important to note that there is a difference in context between these two verses. Later in verses 22 through 24, Paul will appeal to a universal God-ordained hierarchy within marriage. Wives are to submit to their husbands in all things. However, here in verse 21, there is no appeal to hierarchy. There is no reference to age, rank, office, or authority. Which means this, that given the use of the word in the New Testament and outside of the New Testament... 
Paul is not talking about subordination as much as he is talking about functional or practical humility. You see, most of us are willing to submit to those in authority over us if for no other reason than for the fact that they occupy a seat or position of authority. However, it is much harder for you and me to show deference and regard for people that don't occupy a direct position of authority over us. And the reason for that is because this idea of submitting to somebody who has no authority over you requires a great deal of humility. Humility that looks like willfully choosing to yield to someone else's admonition or advice. Humility that subjects one's own preferences for the sake of another's. Humility that decides to listen to someone else's opinion, not because they must, but because they want to. And according to Paul, the key to exhibiting humility with one another in the church, especially with people who do not occupy a seat of authority, is to grasp the following truth. While our brothers and sisters in Christ may not possess or occupy a seat of authority in our lives, they do, however, have Christ indwelling them, occupying a seat of authority in their life. And because they are positioned in Christ, because they have been made alive together with Christ, we are to exhibit humility with them and with one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is why the Apostle Paul makes a connection between walking in wisdom and exhibiting humility. Therefore, because we are being built up into a dwelling place for God with our brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I are to walk in wisdom by exhibiting humility for other believers out of reverence for Christ in them. Dear saints, as believers in Christ Jesus, the expectation for you and me is that we would walk in love and that we would walk in the light and that we would walk in wisdom. This morning, I pray that you would walk in wisdom by exercising discernment, being filled with the Spirit, expressing thanksgiving, and exhibiting humility. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.